happy Friday. Thanks for joining us. And it's a very, very busy Friday. This all started at 9.30 this morning, and we are still, still awaiting a verdict in the case of an off-duty Toronto police officer and his brother accused in the beating of DeFonte Miller, a young black man who lost an eye in that altercation, which dates back to 2016. As I mentioned, this uh, verdict uh, sometime uh, coming. The judge started reading the verdict at 9.30 this morning. We are thinking maybe we'll get that verdict within the hour here. When it happens, we will bring it to you, of course, the very latest right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. First, I want to welcome in Global's Brittany Rosen. She is at the courthouse and joins us now with a bit of a scene setter and an update on what's been happening uh, throughout the morning. Brittany, good afternoon. And first of all, we understand there is a crowd gathered there since this morning. Just uh, how many people are there at the courthouse and just how anxious are they for a verdict? Good afternoon, Jeff. Yes, that's right. I would say there are about over 100 people here. They have been here since about 8.30 this morning awaiting this judgment for DeFonte Miller. Um, this really was um, uh, justice for DeFonte. They're standing in solidarity with the family. And in terms of the energy here, extremely anxious, um, emotional, I would say. This morning, um, when organizers first started uh, running the event, you know, there were chants screamed out saying, enough is enough. No justice, no peace, no racist police. Uh, we saw signs saying justice for DeFonte. We saw people, lots of people here wearing T-shirts saying justice for DeFonte. Uh, police have made um, a presence here at the scene. However, community organizers say that in no way are they part of the event. Um, but they have acknowledged that uh, they are present here. So, yes, uh, they have been waiting for this, as you mentioned, since 930. Um, I'm, I'm here at the scene right now, and I see uh, people are really coming close together. A lot of them are wearing masks. Some of them are not wearing masks, but they've basically um, put um, Judge Joseph DeLuca's uh, judgment on speaker, and everyone is kind of huddled together in a crowd just listening to this. And again, it's been hours. And like you said, hopefully that judgment will come down within the hour, um, any moment now, really. Well, I was going to ask you, Brittany, what are you hearing, if anything, from the courtroom? Is the judge getting close to rendering a verdict? From where we last heard um, around noon, he was halfway through um, remember, his judgment is about 62 pages, so it has taken a really long time for him to get through most of that. Um, however, I, I'm thinking, like you said, within the hour, we could hear something. I, I believe we are getting closer and closer. Um, I believe he has gotten past most of the evidence now. So again, any time now. Just finally, Brittany, I'm really interested. Uh, you mentioned that the crowd there is uh, kind of gathered around a speaker, listening, hanging on to the judge's uh, every word. Is there like visceral reactions? Are they reacting to kind of the ups and downs of uh, the verdict and uh, some of the facts that the uh, judge has been uh, reading out some of his findings? Absolutely. So, you know, um, one example I can give is, you know, when, um, sorry. I'm, I'm just trying to think here because there's so many details in this case. But yes, when you know when the when the judge um, talks about evidence that is in favor towards or, or 
talks about his judgment in favor towards DeFonte. The crowd does nod their head. They start to clap. But then when the judge talks about um, decisions that he's making in, in favor of the Terrio brothers and their defense, then you can see them shaking their heads. So they are paying close attention, hanging on to every single detail on this case. Um, unfortunately, um, we when... Um, the judge said that um, he, he disregarded DeFonte's testimony of what he was doing last night when he was um, car hopping. Um, you know, you could see them shaking their heads. However, when the judge acknowledged that race was a part of this, this case, you could hear them cheering and uh, clapping. So they are paying very close attention. Um, and I, I believe we are going to see quite an emotional reaction when this judgment finally comes down. All right. Brittany, appreciate the update. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. All right. I'm sure we will be checking out, checking in throughout the afternoon. There's Global's Brittany Rosen at the courthouse. Let's welcome in 640 Toronto legal expert Joseph Newberger. He joins us now here on Global News Radio. Uh, Joe, as we've been talking about, this started at 9.30 this morning, uh, almost four hours and counting now. Uh, a verdict taking this long. Uh, how unprecedented, how unusual is this? It's not that unusual. Um, there are many judgments that take time. Um, in this case, His Honor has opted to not provide a summary version um, but to read out the entire uh, text or content of his judgment because he is very aware of the issues that are live in the community. So he wants to be very clear, especially during a time when the pandemic is here and everybody doesn't have access to the courtroom. He's doing this in a very unique way so that everybody can listen and hear his words and understand his reasoning. So he's going to take it slow. He's going to give great detail according to his written judgment. So it's not so, un- so unusual, but we are dealing with a very sensitive case with many hot-button issues. For sure. So this is very per- uh, purposeful on behalf of the judge here to make sure. It's kind of interesting that there was a summary not issued or sent out today because obviously the judge wants everyone to hear uh, every word of his uh, reasoning and what went into uh, what will eventually be the verdict. Yes. Uh, Justice DeLuca was an extremely bright and capable defense lawyer for many years. He's an excellent judge. He's he's a very good person. And he wants to make sure that everybody will understand his reasoning. He started off very clear that he is sensitive to the issue of race, but he has a duty to assess the evidence and assess credibility and do what he has to do under the law. So he wants to make sure everybody understands it, and he will take as long as he needs to in order to make sure he's covered all the points. And I think that's a very good especially in a case like this, because there will be differing opinions at the end of the day, and it's very important that that everybody has heard the judgment. Okay, part of what we know so far, the judge has rejected some of the evidence that was given by the brothers, saying that it was not credible. Uh, What, if anything, can we read into that? Well, it's going to be a bit of a tennis match here. So there's some evidence from the two brothers that will be untenable, um, in which he, he will reject. There will be some evidence from Mr. Miller that he's probably going to reject. Um, I think what he's going to have to do is uh, look at and, and go into some great detail about other evidence that may be independent and supportive. So he will look at the pathology evidence which came out. He will also very significantly pay attention to the uh, evidence of that gentleman who was the, I believe, is a Toronto Fire uh, Service 
uh, I think he was a district chief with the Toronto Fire Service, uh, Mr. Silverthorne, who testified, and he said that he had woken up before banging on the door to sounds of screaming. His evidence is very pertinent because he looked through his window and saw two men beating another man. And what he had stated in court, if I'm getting it accurately, is it was continuous, it was very hard, he told the court, and then he, uh, when he moved to, I guess, the front of his house, he saw one man holding an object, stabbing down with it to keep the man on the ground from getting up. So that, we presume, is the metal pole, and um, allegedly then in the hands of uh, one of the brothers, uh, Michael Thoreau, um, beating down on Mr. Miller. I think that is very crucial evidence that his honor will have to assess very carefully, also in line with the pathology, which indicated that a punch could have caused the uh, the blown eye, but also it could be a metal pipe. And the only blood that's on the pipe is Mr. Miller's, and there's no injury to the two brothers other than some cut to the brother of uh, Michael Thoreau, and then some report of a concussion later on. I'm not privy as to whether any medical reports were filed about a concussion, but certainly there was no physical evidence of any blows to the body or to the heads uh, indicating that a metal pipe would have struck them in that manner. I'm also going to say one other thing, if you don't mind. I'm sorry I'm going on a little long. No worries. But um, what concerns me most about this case is that even if Mr. Miller was in their father's Ford F-150 and uh, they were concerned about that as any uh, homeowner and car owner. Uh, and uh, when they would have come out, these two, uh, this young man ran off. And so they pursued him as opposed to calling 911. They pursued him and then tackled him and got into some struggle. Completely unnecessary. Could have just dialed for the Durham Police Service to attend, not for him to ha- handle it. And then during that struggle, However it happened, the force used, in my opinion, was so excessive to cause the injury that Mr. Miller suffered that regardless of self-defense, the force used has to be reasonable to repel what, what danger you're facing. In this case, to me, the force that used is excessive and caused very serious injuries. It is of grave concern to me that people take the law into their own hands, and this officer felt he was in the right to pursue Mr. Miller when all he had to do was dial 911 and some police officers who are not emotionally tied to the uh, alleged crime would come out and hopefully handle the situation in a calmer manner. Or if okay, he so off, does that factor, do you think, into the judge's decision here? Because that's a really interesting point that you bring up, because all of the talk has been about determining whether or not reasonable force was used in this case. But to your point, the argument could be, well, that point is moot if you had just uh, let Mr. Miller go take off and not run after him uh, once he'd left your property in your vehicle. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would imagine that his honor would address that. I mean, the reality is two people can consensually enter into a fight. That can happen. That's not breaking the law. If somebody is using force against another person, so it's unprovoked, then you're allowed to defend yourself regardless how you got into that situation and is the force in, uh, used in self-defense and then is it excessive. So that's probably the main focus of the court. But I take it a different way because I, I think this officer pursued in order to commit an assault. So he wants to effect an arrest. Whether he had grounds or not, I don't think he was in a position to determine that he had grounds to effect an arrest. And he was not, he was off duty, and he clearly 
got into a struggle with this individual to affect some sort of a, an arrest. And in my opinion, it was unlawful. Other people can disagree with me about it, but that's the way I look at the theory of this case. And um, I have great concern as we move forward as a society that it's okay for people to take the law in their own hands. We see this in the United States. I don't want to see this in Canada. Canada is a country where we are all generally safe. We can walk on our streets. If somebody breaks into a car, it's extremely aggravating. But, you know, we have insurance. There are police that we call, and they will respond. And generally, our police services handle things in a very professional manner. And they're multicultural, and they're diverse, and they know how to handle situations. We've had very bad things happen lately, which is astonishing to me. But we should not be taking the law into our own hands. And this is a factor in this case that caused me concern from the get-go. Does it matter that this is an off-duty police officer at all? Does that factor into this? I hear what you're saying about people taking the law into their own hands, but is it a, does it make a difference? Is there a difference when a police officer, albeit in this case, off-duty, is involved? Look, uh, you know, uh, Justice DeLuca may find that he was within his rights, as any citizen, frankly, to pursue somebody who had committed an offense and he's an officer and he's a duty to protect, uh, uh, you know, society. I look at it from a different end. He knows better. You know, he's a police officer. He's off duty. He's out of his jurisdiction. He knows what the dial number is. It's 911, not that hard. I consider that to be an aggravating factor, not a mitigating factor that he had a lawful right to do this. I think he should have just dialed 911 and not pursued this young man. This happens all the time. We cannot result uh, in, in brutal beatings of individuals for a minor car theft if that's what happened. I'm not saying Mr. Miller was doing that by any stretch of the means. It's up to his honor to decide the facts. But if that's what he decides, it's aggravating, but it's not appropriate to take the law into your own hands, off-duty officer or not. Nobody's life was at risk. If, God forbid, there's a drunk driver on the street and an off-duty officer pulls somebody over, absolutely, he may be preventing a death. If the officer sees an assault taking place and they risk their life to enter and, and, and help, or they, they act in a situation where there's imminent risk to a citizen, absolutely justified, 100%, and God bless them for doing that. But when it's a property uh, offense, there's no need. All right, finally, I want to ask you, uh, you mentioned the metal pole a few moments ago. Just how important is that pole or that pipe, do you think, uh, Joe, in this case? Uh, the brothers, they claim that DeFonte Miller had it on him. Right. Miller is claiming otherwise. So just how important is it for the judge to sort that all out in determining whether or not reasonable force was used? Yeah, that's a bit of an issue, because where did that pipe come from? It's not likely, in my opinion, that it would be just lying around. So it's either uh, grabbed by uh, the two brothers to pursue, or Mr. Miller did have it in, in his possession. I think the uh, brother of Mr. Michael Thoreau said that it was uh, in his pants or, or in the back of his pants. And, you know, if you're breaking into cars, you may have a pipe with you. So I think it is a significant factor. If the judge finds that, in fact, it was in Mr. Miller's possession and it's possible that he did use it, then the Crown has a negated self-defense, and that could be a, a pathway to possibly an acquittal, but then his honor still has to look at, um, you know, force used. And in this case, timing is the issue as well, the chronology, because if the pipe was used and Mr. Miller uh, was struck for, like was struck just after the pipe being used, and it's one punch, if the judge accepts that to cause the injury, then it may be self-defense uh, and not excessive force. It's, it's, uh, Frankly, a small set of facts, a distinct set of facts,
but there's a lot of complicated issues to resolve here. And, uh, and it's the Crown, I have to remember, uh, uh, to tell everybody, it's the Crown that bears the burden beyond a reasonable doubt to establish the offense and to negate self-defense in this case. Yeah, just finally, uh, Joe, and sorry to keep you so long in this, but I think that this is an important point as well. You mentioned that uh, it's a bit of a tennis match uh, for the judge here uh, because he's found credibility issues with both Mr. Miller and the brothers. So how tough is it to make a decision when you have credibility issues as a judge on both sides? Very tough. Those are the most challenging cases. When you have very little evidence um, that is uh, independent to look at to try and assist you in determining credibility or corroborate a story in one way or the other, it's extremely difficult, um, especially in a case like this because of you know what's at stake here. So the judge has to be very careful to weigh the evidence according to an analysis set out by the Supreme Court of Canada in a case called WD. And, you know, again, his eyes on the ball is the presumption of innocence and the crown bears proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So it is extremely challenging, and that's why his honor has a very long judgment and is going to go through every minute detail in order to uh, uh, give the analysis to the public, hopefully so they understand the verdict at the end of the day. I'll, All right, I'll just say one other thing. Sure. Uh, there was that issue at the end of the day about an obstruction of justice. And so that's also going to factor into the credibility issue. All right, 640 Toronto legal expert Joseph Newberger. Joe, appreciate the time as always. Thanks My so much pleasure. for joining us. Take care. Be safe.